all about. Uh, home is with the Lord, and uh, you know we're not going to just be floating around on a cloud trying to play an instrument. Uh, it's much, much greater than that. Like most things, men touch, we pervert it and destroy it and make it terrible. So uh, heaven is that way. We often try to describe it in our own way, and, and we can't. But I know that the Lord prepared it. He's there, and that's all I need to know. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be just what I need. I won't be disappointed. Amen. Uh, so many things disappoint us today. Uh, we find fault with so many things, but the Lord will not disappoint. I uh, can't find fault with Him. He loved me when I was unlovable, and um, in the midst of all of my sin and issues, uh, He chose to do something about it. I'm so grateful, and I know that, that you are too. This morning, uh, you know, last week was our kickoff, and, and you know, with Awana, it kind of, you know, follows the, the school calendar, and uh, of course, um, with uh, Sunday school groups, you know, we kind of moved them up about a month later, uh, so a lot is going on, and um, everybody's kind of got the last vacation in, maybe for a little while, and uh, so, you know, we're back to doing these things that we're familiar with that's part of our life as Christian people. And, and uh, so we got a lot of kids, and uh, we got a lot of teachers, and we've got some new teachers. And so I thought it would be great today to look in the Word of God and find out what it really means to make disciples. The ABCs, if you will, of making disciples, and don't fret. I know there's 26 letters in our alphabet, but I have only four points to this sermon. So... Fear not, okay? Besides, we start an hour earlier, so you'll be fine. I want us to start this morning in Luke chapter 6. And uh, I'm, I'm normally, uh, you know, a line-by-line guy. Today, I'll be moving around a little bit more than I usually do. But this is, this is important to the student, but this is also important to the teacher. We, uh, in our culture today... We are trying to reach primarily two generations, uh, millennials and Gen Zers. Now, we want to reach everybody, but in particular, those two generations, in large part, have walked away uh, from the church, or Gen Y, whatever, anyway, to those two generations. Some of the reason that they've walked away, in their own words, is they have a real distrust in institutions. Uh, they feel like they've been, you know, lied to, uh, sold a, a, a package of goods, and they are wanting. And so they are very skeptical. And you understand that, you know, this generation has, by and large, been affected by uh, a very secular uh, society, a very secularized school system uh, that teaches a very humanistic uh, doctrine as its curriculum. And the reason for that is that most of our textbooks uh, are influenced by California. Why? Because they buy more textbooks than anybody. And if, if you think that having their input into our textbooks is a good thing, I'd be happy to tell you why that's not the case uh, following the sermon today. But it is what it is. So we are called as a church to make disciples, to reach people. And where, where we begin the sermon today, in the scripture, I need you to hear the words of Jesus. Sermon, preaching about Beatitudes, he's touching on a lot of things. And then he shifts in the latter part of Luke chapter 6. He's going to shift this emphasis and he's talking about the teacher. He's talking about us and the importance of the kind of life that we live and, and our desire to really make disciples. The importance of that and how that is supposed to look. So Luke chapter 6 this morning, we want to start in verse 37. And I want you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Reading a passage of Scripture that may well be one of the most taken out of context pieces of Scripture uh, that there is. Uh, we will not do that this morning. Verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. Press down, 
shaken together and running over will put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the admonition of the word to live in a way that honors you, Lord. And God, we, we're, we're not doing that in our strength. God, we recognize that you've given us the Holy Spirit because, number one, we need it. And it is impossible to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. It's your life, Lord. And God, help us today to understand the importance of walking, speaking, teaching the Spirit in the power of the Spirit and having no confidence whatsoever in the flesh. Equip us to reach these generations for your glory. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. Jesus says in verse 40 that a disciple is not above his teacher. Everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. It is important who the teacher is. Amen? Because a teacher is a person with influence. Now, if we were being honest this morning, we could, I could sit down with any of you, uh, certainly those of you who have been through uh, school. You've graduated, maybe you've been through college, and I could ask you, what was your favorite teacher, what was your favorite uh, professor or instructor, and you, you could tell me, you, you could tell me. And you know what I could also do? I could also ask you who the worst teacher you have is, and you could tell me. If not, give me a list. I, I don't know. But we need to understand today that, that a teacher has a tremendous amount of influence. So much so, Jesus said that the student will become the teacher. Now, in, in this context, Jesus is doing some teaching, right? Jesus is the one giving the sermon. He's the one, uh, you know, with his disciples, with those 12, uh, and he is teaching them. Of Jesus in Scripture is a rabbi. They referred to him as a great teacher. They understood. He un he knew the law. He 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 could stand up in a temple, open up the scrolls, and and uh, he could speak in a way that no one ever else ever else spoke. He spoke with with power and with authority. Scriptures say so. Jesus was a very influential teacher. As a matter of fact, people who would not even recognize as crazy as it as it would be, people who would not even recognize. The, the, the reality of who Jesus Christ is would not deny that he was a great teacher. There is nobody. If, if, you try, if, if you're just an agnostic and you say, I, I don't believe in the supernatural aspect of Jesus, nobody, nobody in history has influenced a world as much as Jesus Christ. There is none other. No other name has had the impact on our world than the name of Jesus Christ. That's why it's a name that is above every name. And that is why at that name, the scriptures tell us that there is coming a point where every knee, whether they be in heaven or under heaven, is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess because Jesus really is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. And He has impacted our world in, in so many ways. We cannot deny that. And Jesus tells us the importance of a teacher, that the student will become the teacher, that the student will become the teacher. Think about our culture today. Think about the, we, we even have this term in our culture, the influencers, the influencers of our culture today. Who are these people? They've been learned, they've been learned, you know, they learned under somebody, they've been taught. What did they, what did they learn? Well, I think if we were just wanting to connect a few dots, we'd have to say that the, that the influencers and the makers and the shifters of our culture today have been influenced by something other than the precepts and the teachings of the Word of God. 
Now, they, they've, been, they've been influenced by religion, no doubt. But is the religion of Mao, of Stalin, of Lenin, it is not the religion of, 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 the, of the Bible. It's not Christianity. And so that worldview shows up, doesn't it? Somewhere along the way, there's been a great disconnect between the church, what we've taught, the area of discipleship, and how it's made its way into the culture. Think about it today. We have, some would say, I have not counted them by no means, but some say we have about 360,000 churches from sea to shining sea in America. They're in malls. They're in storefronts. They're in locations like this. We have more Christian literature today than we've ever had in any time. We have more Christian radio stations than we've had in any time. We have more Christian podcasts and broadcasters and personalities than we've had in any time. We've got more Christian authors today than we've had in any time. We've got more Christian books. I was going to say bookstores. We don't even have them anymore. But we've got more online Christian bookstores than we've ever had. I mean, you can find a Bible at the dollar store, at the dollar quarter store today. It is accessible everywhere. All of these things are. But yet, as a culture, the question is, are we more or are we less like Christ than at any other time in our history? We're less. Not, not at any other time, but we are less today than we were. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that? It may, it may relate to ministry philosophy. It may boil down to, to what the vision or the point of churches today seems to be. But regardless of those things, we can conclude that in the area of discipleship, something's went awry. Because substantively today, in Christian adults that's out here living the life and the dream or whatever we want to call it, there's not a whole lot of difference between those who would profess to know Christ, and, and I understand not everybody who professes really has it. But substantively, there is very little difference between the issues that the world is struggling with and given over to and those who would profess to know Jesus. Now, that is not to say we are not different. Evangelicals that are consistent in going to church, they're unashamed of the name of Christ. They, they understand their need to be a part of discipleship. Those numbers in that group change very dramatically. They have less divorce. They have less of these issues because they are the real deal. They are the, not only the, the, the professors uh, or the confessors, but they really have what they say they have, and it shows up in how they live. Nevertheless, we are struggling in that area of discipleship. How is it that, we, that it sticks? How do we make it stick? So I want to begin with this question. I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but I want to ask yourself this question. Internalize this question. Ask yourself this. If everyone in the world was like me, how would the world be? If everybody in this church was like you, how would this church be? Don't answer out loud. But ask yourself that question. Because fundamentally, if we as the church want to change the culture, we've got to be different than the culture in the sense that we're influencing it and it's not influencing us. It wasn't that long ago that the church influenced the culture heavily. Today the culture is influencing the church. We've got to get back to a place where we assume our responsibility as ambassadors for Jesus Christ carrying the message of reconciliation. Salvation is in Him and Him alone. If you're in a position of leadership, if you're in a position of authority, and you're training others to be like you, isn't that what Paul said? Follow me because I, I know the one who knows the way. Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that some might be saved. Not that everyone would be saved. But Paul understood the importance of building relationships and doing hard things. His life is a testimony to that. As others and the saints of old and through history is a testimony to that. 
So when we, when we look at how do we make it stick, how do we make disciples, and we look at the very first letter, the letter A, I want us to think about accountability. And I want us to uh, look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, real quick. Maybe a familiar passage of Scripture to you. But the importance of accountability, because accountability helps us to be self-aware. Aware of our own faults and our failures and our struggles. Our hiccups and our hang-ups. And understanding that we need accountability with one another, but we also need the encouragement and the strength, the strengthening of each other. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. I find it interesting that in Hebrews, first century church, they're, they're, they understand that the day is approaching. Now, this is not just the day of the Lord's rapture and return and things of that but, but just the day of trouble, the day of tribulation, the day of trial. And, and of course, you look through uh, the thousands of years of church history, folks, there's, there's always been an attack on the church, and there always will be. We have, we have an enemy, an adversary that is opposed to this book, and those who would dare to teach it and preach it and would make believers or disciples of, the, uh, of those uh, who would go out in the world and seek to make other disciples. This speaks of accountability, the need for each other, the need to be in a Sunday school class and a Bible study group that we stir up one another. I mean, you know, you're, you're far more apt to tell somebody that you have a relationship with, I need prayers. I need a friend that would come alongside of me, if you would, and help me, uh, someone that I can bounce uh, counsel off of, that I can ask. Maybe if you've walked through these uh, various trials and things in your life, you've suffered, you've, you know what it's like to lose a child, or you know what it's like to lose your parents at, a, at an early age, and, and you've dealt with that, you've walked through that pain, you've had cancer, you've overcome those things. Folks, there is a world out here that needs to hear your testimony. Accountability. And the reality that, that there are those around me who know me, that I am close enough to that when I begin to uh, get off kilter over here and I wander, they love me enough to privately say, hey, I'm missing you. You're out of fellowship. What's wrong? What's going on? There has to be not only a level of accountability from leader to leader, but the level of accountability from leader, from teacher to student. They need to trust you. They need to know that you care. They need to be encouraged. They need us to help them be stirred to good works. Look at the culture we live in today. <laughs> think, think about just looking at a TV for an hour. The types of commercials and influence you get. You, you go turn on YouTube and, and, and the ads that come up prompting you to be a part of this or a part of that. Cell phones, I mean, you know, uh, the, the reality that, you know, uh, they, they kind of know what you want before you even verbalize it. So that when you open up your, your Facebook, uh, you know, that, that, that the thing that you just uttered between you and your wife is now showing up in your feed, you know. Have that happened to anybody? Just curious, I mean. Our students need to understand that we not only care for them, but that we want them to be successful in the Christian life. That we're rooting for them. And that we're, we're going to be advocates for them. But that we want to stir them to do bold things for Jesus, even at a young and an early age. The church needs to see more of our young people standing behind a pulpit reading scripture, praying, 
taking up offerings, leading a small group. I mean, we, we some reason believe that when they get 18, that's just going to happen. It's not automatic. We have to train them. And that's accountability. They, they, they believe that you believe in them and they're willing to take the next step. And that leads to the second point. A boldness of faith. Now when we talk about boldness of faith, the name would insinuate that it's not easy, right? I mean, there's a need, there's a reason it needs to be a boldness of faith. Jesus spoke a lot about faith. He talked about the faith of the centurion. He had not found greater faith in Israel. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's this great chapter there about faith. And it's interesting that uh, of all the things that we can obtain and, and, and our gifts and our talents, verse 6 brings it all into focus here because it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You want to please God? You want to honor God? You have to be a person that walks by faith. Faith is not seeing the end. Faith is not understanding how it all works out. Other than we know God is sovereign and He's on the throne and, and, and He's won the battle, yes. But, but my journey as a Christian, I do not know the end. What I'm going to do. I mean, I was thinking about something the other day. You could rewind to 30 years ago, early, mid-90s. I mean, folks, I wouldn't planning to be in a pulpit on Sunday. Sometimes I wasn't even planning being out there on a Sunday. No, I was, I was in my early 20s, and I was wanting to do what I wanted to do. And, I, and I, I thought about a picture at my mother's that's got, you know, me and, and a group of our friends, and we're all on a dive boat down at, at West Palm Beach. And I'm looking at that picture, and... And, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some people and, that, are, that are involved in ministry today. And I'm just thinking that as we were having you know, dinner and hanging out that evening, I'm just thinking that what if somebody walked up to us and said, Hey, I know you don't know me, but 30 years from now, you're going to be preaching in a pulpit. And 30 years from now, you're going to be married to a pastor, and y'all going to be feeding the homeless. I'd have been like, see you later. Think about where you were 30 years ago, if you're that old. Some of you don't think that. But can, can you, in your mind here, just think about it. Some of you may need to go back a little farther. But my, my point is, when you were a teenager, maybe you were in your early 20s and you were starting out your career, where did you think that would end up? Where, where were you, of all that you've experienced, think about the issue of faith. To take those bold steps. To realize the reality here in verse 6 that there's no way I'm going to please God apart from faith. And, and I'm talking bold faith. And, 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 and in this entire chapter, it names names of people and how they were influenced are influ in, influential in their culture. But I want you to go down to um, verse 32 with me in Hebrews 11. And it says this, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, Promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sown in two. 
were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Folks, if we're going to be faithful, we're, we're going to be called to do hard and difficult things. Boldness in our faith. Uh, the early church prayed for boldness of their faith. They understood the need for that. That what they were up against was an entire nation that had an animus toward them. That, it was, that, that they couldn't just have a church on the corner. They had to meet in secret. And that when we go back to the days of Acts, it was a house-to-house kind of thing. The church was moving because the church was not made to be still. The church was active, and it went from home to home, from place to place, from Jerusalem to the day of Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And, and, and they turn, even, even the Pharisees said, you know, these are the folks that have turned the world upside down. They changed their culture through the boldness of faith. And and leaders, teachers, our students need to see in you, you are a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. The, the, The student will become the teacher. The student will become you. If accountability is not important to you, it will not be important to them. If faith is not important to you, if it's not exercised, guess what? It will not be important to them. They will not exercise that. They become the teacher, not your pastor's words, the Lord Jesus' words. The teacher is important. Who you are is important. What you believe. How you live your life. And that moves us down to point three. Consistent. Christ-like character. You know, we're not living in the day in which we are in the masses where Jesus is preaching. We're not in the twelve where we we had a, a, a very close setting with the Lord. And we're not the three. We're not Peter, James, and John that had a very, very close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's what we do have. We have the power of God through the Holy Spirit living in every blood-bought believer. We've been given the mind of Christ. We've been uh, made near. We've been drawn near. We have been given gifts and talents and equipped. And we have His Word. So we know His will. And we're called to live in a way that it makes a difference and it is counter to the culture in which we find ourselves. 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Timothy 2 there speak of the the importance of the Word of God, that this is where we are taught, this is what uh, we bring in light of the Word, of the things, of the the thoughts, of the attitudes. Uh, Everything is put to the test of Scripture. And Scripture proves whether it is something that is to be acted upon or should it be taken captive and thrown away. Because it is where we build our belief system. 2 Timothy 2.15, the foundational verse for Awana. Approved workmen are not ashamed, right? Study to show yourself. Right? Diligently seeking the Word of God. Study to show thyself approved, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, but one who rightly divides the Word of truth. One who knows in context and in light of the culture we find ourselves in, how do we bring all this in in a worldview and disseminate it out and and follow the Lord uh, amidst this culture in which we find ourselves in today? How do I transform my school? How do I transform my family? Through the power of the Word of God. Recognizing the importance of consistent Christ-like character. One of my favorite passages of Scripture 
is over in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. And to me, this kind of brings in what we've been talking about together because in Philippians 2 there in verse 12, this is what Paul says to that church. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, accountability, consistent Christ-like character, a boldness in our faith. Verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure, do all things without complaining and disputing. Look at verse 15, That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, I was your teacher at one time, one point. I was your teacher. And this is, this is Paul saying, you know, in a sense, he's assessing, how did I do? Because the student becomes the teacher. And he's saying, you, you, you've obeyed. You obeyed when I was there. I hear that you're obeying now. Don't be like the culture. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't dispute. Don't fight. But you shine as a light. You shine as a light in a world of darkness. You know, it's something interesting that if you're, if you're in your home at night and you've got, you know, your lights off in, inside the home, you, you know, and, and you have a window there, if, if your lights inside are off, you know what you notice on outside of that window? You notice the lights outside. You notice that the dark has some level of illumination to it. It might be a street light. It might be, you know, you're living in a, a subdivision. There's several lights. Or, you know, town is obviously much brighter than out here in, in, in the Liberty community, you know. Matter of fact, here lately we just like to randomly cut the power off and back on for, you know, every couple, three hours. I don't know what the deal is with that, but, you know, it is what it is. But it's kind of weird. You know, but anyway, uh, at night, if your lights are off, you, you see the light that's outside. It's dim, but you can see that there's some light. But if you cut the light on in your house and you look out that window, you know what you see? You see darkness. Because the light of that room is so powerful that it, that it you know, the outside world looks really really dark and and that is my very very South Georgia way of, of explaining that when the church is, is, is living a life for the glory of God and on mission for God and we are putting these things into practice in our life folks we, we shine as light, that's not self righteousness that's not judging the culture that's not being a a hypocrite. That is that is being salt. That is being light. And, and if we're going to follow the Lord and we're going to do these things, folks, we're going to look different than the rest of the world. And that's a good thing. I want you to shine as lights, he says. Realizing, as Paul is saying here, the importance of, of relationships. And how important it is uh, to, to be a person that is, that is, that is personable, that's hospitable, that, that genuinely loves people. Jesus preached to the masses. Again, he had a smaller group of that 12. And he had three people that were with him more than anybody. Experienced some things that the other nine did not. Jesus was a believer in relationships. When, when, when he came to see Mary and Martha after Lazarus had died, do you, do you get the dialogue between them and Jesus? He was their friend. In and out of their home on a regular basis. They knew him well enough that, 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 that they point blank said, you know, Lord, if you had been here, he would have never died. 
They could ask that question because it wasn't, they just didn't show up to hear Jesus twice a year. You know what I'm saying? They knew him very personally, intimately. There is a great unique aspect of Christianity, unlike these other religions around the world. We are religious people, by the way. Sometimes we get a little too much on the whole, man, it's all about religion. Well, it needs to be about religion, too, because, you know, we, we need, religion is the aspect of you exercising those things that you believe. That's a good thing. Need a lot of that, actually. But it's not just that. Because I can, I can be as religious as I want to do, be and do good, godly things and still not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. People do that all the time. As a matter of fact, there was a time in our culture that it was so affected by the church that a lot of people thought they were saved even though they weren't. They, they live like everybody else. I can't talk like that in public. Somebody will run me out of this restaurant. God give us those days again. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. My goodness, what would they think of me? I'm not going to do that because the culture was so impacted by the Christian worldview that it was a restrainer of evil. No, we are religious people. We should be religious people. Jesus doesn't knock religion for just the sake of religion. He says that, that religious people, you want to really know what true and undefiled religious is, you take, care, you take care of orphans and widows. You take care of those that you are gonna, not going to gain anything from, from taking care of them. There's nothing they can do for you. That's what true Christianity, religious people do. We give not expecting to get back. We labor without a return because we believe heaven is home. We believe God is a righteous judge and we believe that heaven has been prepared for us and we will be there for all of eternity and all the pain and all the suffering and the things that we go through on this side of heaven is just but for a short time compared to the eternity of heaven. So we labor on. As Paul says, do these things without complaining. You teach Awana, you teach Sunday school, you can have the best intentions in the world. I mean, you could, yeah. But folks, my, my plans, my plans and my priorities and even all of my preparation is not going to get this word into their heart when it is absent of an authentic relationship with that speaker. That's the vehicle. You, you want to get the theology to them? You put it in the vehicle of a relationship. That's exactly what Jesus did. He taught 12 men how to turn the world upside down. He through a video conference. He did not do that through a bestseller. He did that meal to meal Example after example, they were a part of his ministry. They saw him do this. They saw him do that. And then they did what? They practiced the things that they were taught. The three that he spent the most time with were known as the pillars of the church. And if we want people to get the theology, we have to build a relationship with them. Otherwise, otherwise, what we're doing on Sunday night is school. And I don't know any student that wants to start school on Sunday. I have never met a one of them that wanted to start school on Sunday. They, they, they got to have something better than that. They want relationships. You remember a couple years ago, I, I just, when I would go back in the back and I'd sit down with a class, I'd just ask them, what's the best thing you like about Awana? I'd just ask them stuff. You know, they ask me stuff too, but I'd just ask them stuff. I asked them strange questions. But anyway, I'd just ask them, what do you like about Awana? Listen to me, teacher. Consistently, consistently the answer was the same. I like 
the relationship aspect of it. And I like it when our, our, our teachers are in the Word with us. That ought to be affirmation to you. These are things we need to do. And be grateful to them. And be dedicated to them. Because you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to raise dead people. That's what we're trying to do. That's the whole point. Those little boys and girls, grown-ups that come in our Sunday school class, sit in our congregation, absent of a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says they are dead in their trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1. Dead in your trespasses and sins. You think your decorated classroom is going to raise the dead to life? Now listen, I like decorations. I do. I get it. I love them. And, and the kids do too. You think you, you think your planner's going to raise the dead to life? I, I know, uh, you know, I got a Sunday school lesson and it says, you know, 10 minutes for this, 15 minutes for this. That never works. That never works. Never works. Or maybe it's just me. I don't know. How are you going to, is there a way, is there some, is there some power, is there some way that we can see the dead brought to life? I mean, is it, is it, is it my preparation? And I'm not saying that's not good. Don't you say, I said that wasn't good. I'm saying that my best plans and my preparation cannot raise the dead to life. But let me tell you what can. The power of the Lord Jesus. Prayer. 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 The connection that we have with the Holy God to remove the blinders and the, and the earmuffs away. They can hear and respond to the word. You remember what I said? Prayer is not the last resort. Sometimes it, that, that's what it's become. But prayer ought to be our very first response and it's not the least we can do it is the most we can do prayer changes things it's more than that little plaque you got hanging up in your house that's really true prayer changes things prayer changes hearts it is through prayer I've seen people I thought never would be saved be saved it is through prayer that I thought boy it seems like a lost cause but that the Lord would, would turn it around for His glory. See, half the time, you know what God's trying to do with all of this and our frustrations and what we're doing? He's trying to get my attention. He's working on me. See, it's not just for the little kid to stand up behind the pulpit and say, He's still working on me. He's still working on you, adult. He's still working on me. Because I need it. We all do. Because we're called to preach a message that will raise the dead to life. And one day, as James tells us, this life is just, you know, it's here for a little while, it's gone. And then, you know, people are going to, they're going to talk about you, right? Hopefully they're going to say some good things about you. That's why you need a preacher. He's going to at least say something good about you. Don't trust your family to do that, okay? Just a disclaimer. You better watch them, man, let me tell you. But anyway, you're going to leave this world one day, and the reward and the treasure that you've laid up in heaven is going to continue to grow until that day that the Lord returns and the believers are at that judgment seat of Christ. So long after you leave this world, what you've done is going to still matter and count. And we, we think about the lessons we'll teach. But you know what the students are going to remember? The person that you were. That's what they're going to remember. You remember when I asked you, could you name your favorite teacher? 
Name your favorite instructor. Name your favorite professor. I got them. But I don't, I can't tell you that in so-and-so's class, I can't tell you, oh, I, I just remember May 17th. We worked on commas that day. Man, boy, it blew me away. Punctuation was fantastic. Nobody's saying that. I mean, unless unless you were in Mr. Parsons' class and you 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 shot a rocket out of the window and it landed out there in the courtyard. I mean, that's a memorable moment, no doubt. You know, you ever had a guy like I had in my typing class that the police came in and arrested? That's that's memorable. Okay. But more than likely, you know what you remember? You remember that person. You remember that person, how they treated you? And whether they made you feel like a real person. And it was through their kindness and their love for you that you learned a few things. And, and, and think about your Sunday school teacher. Think about growing up in church. The people that had the impact upon you is not so much what they taught, but it's what they said and conveyed to you in a much deeper way. Very personal, your relationship. If, if we want to see our culture change, then we have to change what we're doing with respect to disciples. can't just be checking the boxes. It's got to be real, authentic change. And you're part of that. Your student will not rise above you. Jesus said the student will become you. Think about that. Think about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that there is nothing that we stand in need of that you are not able to do. God, I pray for the Spirit of God that you would you would convict us, Lord, of our great need for you. That, Lord, you would help each of us that have been given a responsibility to teach or to, to be in a pulpit, that, Lord, You would help us not to take these things lightly. God, we're shaping the next generation. Lord, let us surrender our life in obedience, in full obedience, to be immersed in your word, to be saturated with your word, but most importantly, to be saturated with the love of God in every area of our life. That kindness, that gentleness and grace would be part of our personality of our speech, that we would edify and not tear down. We're making some disciples. May they be a version, Lord, that is consistent with what you've laid out in Scripture. God, whatever we stand in need of today, Lord, again, in faith, help us to receive it. Should we need today to be saved, I pray, God, that you would draw them to that cross. That they would know in their heart of hearts they can be forgiven. That they can be your child. Have your way in our heart, every heart today. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand on our feet, church. We sing this morning. You need to come for any reason this morning. You've never been saved. I want to encourage you. As soon as we begin to sing, would you step out in faith? Would you come? Jesus, keep me near the cross. Let that be your heart's desire this morning. Jesus, keep me
see you back tonight, and uh, we're privileged this morning to have Brother Tom Hocutt with us. Uh, Tom, would you just put your hand up real quick, if you don't know Tom. Uh, Tom's been serving the Lord for a few years, and uh, continues to faithfully serve Him, uh, and we appreciate you, Brother Tom. Thank you for all that you're doing with the association, and uh, continuing to serve the Lord uh, well, well in His uh, years, a uh, very faithful man, uh, a good friend. We're grateful to have him. Um, have a good day. See you back tonight, all right? And let's pack this place out for the Lord Jesus, all right? Is there anything we need to be made aware of before we dismiss? Mark Stone, would you dismiss us in prayer this morning?